0: And so, um, yeah, it's, it's an honor to kind of be part of this group, join in. Uh, I, I would typically love to share about John 17 type stuff, and that's sort of my, my spiel, if you know me. But I just felt like the Lord was putting on my heart um, Acts 1 and just a picture of kind of how Jesus prepared his apostles for Pentecost, um, I felt that way because I was personally studying Acts and had been really just getting some great insight from the Lord on the text and the story. And you know, this is 10 days leading up to Pentecost, and so I thought you know, this it fits quite well. How, am I breaking up? Or so, I mean, I've got kids doing school on internet, and so if hopefully I'm coming through. You're coming through, great man, and I can totally relate. Same things happening here, so go yeah, for it. Yeah. <laughs> so if I if I go blotchy, I'll just cut off my video and keep talking. But. Sounds good. Um, so anyhow, I to get started, I would love to invite us, maybe challenge us um, to get into the sandals of the apostles in the post sort of crucifixion. And um, to do that, I know some of us, I'm not one of them, uh, but some of us have great imaginations and can sort of have a great practice of meditation where you sort of put yourself there. And some of us, like I said, myself included, are not. That. So I'm just going to ask the Lord to help uh, us be present, to feel what they felt, hear what they heard, and um, have some connection to what they were going through. Lord, I thank you so much that you are a God who's outside of time. You are the God who loves our souls and loves the souls of the apostles. Um, And and Lord, we're asking that you would allow us to experience some of the fears, some of the concerns, some of the uh, faulty thinking uh, that the apostles had. And, And Lord, I pray that in a very special way, we would experience instruction the way that Jesus gave it to them. Um, in that gathering place and in that time as they awaited Pentecost. And I just pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So, you know, when you get into that place in Acts 1, um, you know, I want us to actually feel the, the dirt, the fear, the grit of life after the crucifixion. And I don't know about you, but when I go there, when I'm there, um, as a follower of Jesus who's just experienced the crucifixion, I am full of confusion. I'm full of fear. I'm full of, you know, fright for my family or, or whatever may come, right? Because you, you were associated with someone who just suffered the worst death that the government of that time could carry out, and, and you're a known associate. And so you can imagine the fear, and then you can imagine the confusion, right? Like you really put all your eggs in this Jesus basket, and uh, things don't seem to be working out. And so you're filled with these emotions. And for us, on the other side of this, right, we can look at it, and sometimes this is what we do. We, we miss those feelings and those emotions because we know the, what's on the horizon, them, right? You read the story, you read Acts, and and you're like, oh, you know what comes. But for them, imagine they didn't know what was coming. They didn't know that their horizon was full of grace and power and a whole new kind of fear, a deeper, richer kind of fear of the Lord that they had no way of knowing. And so this is the context, right, of where they're at, and, and then Jesus resurrects, and, you know, you have the interactions at the, the end of the Gospel of John. Um, and then he, it says here in, in uh, the first chapter that he appears, and he's giving them instruction. It, essentially, it's, okay, he's going to launch the church as it's now going to move forward into the future generations. And so that's the scene, is what is Jesus doing in that time? And what are these apostles thinking and experiencing? And the first thing I realized that when I put myself in their shoes or their sandals at that time was a whole different kind of problem post-resurrection than post-crucifixion. Because you can imagine, it's a totally different thing to basically be an associate, a known associate of a soon-to-be-forgotten, crucified radical. Whereas now all of a sudden they're faced with this new reality and new fear that they are now witnesses of a crucified and resurrected radical who is sending them out into the world. And that's a whole different level of fear of, it's a whole different ball game that these apostles are stepping into. And so you can imagine the fear, the emotions. But again, Jesus knows what they need. And when I... I when I put myself there, when I go through the sort of timeline of this, I realize just how encouraging that is that Jesus is going to send them into the world. He knows their fear. He knows what they need and he's going to give them exactly what they need. And so that leads us into, okay, how does Jesus prepare them? What does it look like here for Jesus to prepare his apostles to launch what you could say, is the greatest organization the world has ever known. And I don't, I don't think that's, you could argue debate a little bit, but I'm just going to run with that, right? What is Jesus going to instruct his apostles when he's launching the greatest organization the world has ever known? And if you were going, you could ask yourself this question. I, I did it. It's kind of a silly exercise, but if you're going to instruct a small team of questionable talent on how to launch a community that will last more than 2,000 years, what would you do? What's, you, what's your instruction look like? You know, for me, a little bit more on the type A, you know, organized sort of person, it's got to be a manual. It's got to be deep, you know, thick instruction so they can't mess it up. And, you know, it, it's, It's making sure you remind Peter, like, now, Peter, you know, don't blow it by getting, you know, super upset about this and don't do this. And, Peter, make sure you check in and have one-on-ones with these guys. And, you know, I I write a really good manual. It would have been great. But, you know, the church would never last 2,000 years if it was up to me to, to launch it. And if you take any world leader by our standards today and you said, I'm gonna task you with launching the greatest organization or community the world has ever known. What would that world leader even do? What what would their strategy be? And all of it seems ridiculous or pales in comparison when you dive deep into what did Jesus actually do to prepare his apostles? And that's where I wanna dive in deep is that we learn from this story that the way that Jesus prepares his people looks radically different than our expectations. And so here are the three sort of things that that I see in this story of how Jesus actually prepared his people to live into uh, everything that he had prepared uh, for the church. So the first is verse 3. I love this. It says that he was appearing to them. So this is Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It says he was appearing to them during 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God. And that captivated me right off the bat. It was just fascinating because it wasn't an instruction manual. It wasn't a lecture series. It was vision. Jesus prepared his apostles with vision vision of what the kingdom of God is like, which sounds quite a bit similar, similar to what you heard in the Gospels, right? The kingdom of God is like, fill in the blank. The kingdom of God is like, fill in the blank. And so Jesus is just speaking kingdom into their lives. It doesn't even say, and I looked it up, I checked the Greek, it's not preaching, it's not teaching. He was actually just hanging out with the apostles speaking about the kingdom of god and so when i get into their shoes and i'm sitting there i just i am so i have this deep desire to hear what else jesus was saying about the kingdom of god because i get the picture of it's not again an instruction manual or a lecture series it's like friends sitting together inundating each other with visions of what the kingdom of God is like. What is that lifestyle like? What does it look like? What does it taste like? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? And that's just, he was hanging out with the guys talking about it. And that's a different picture of preparing the church to be launched uh, in that way. And so to carry out the work of the kingdom. The apostles just needed to soak in the descriptions of the kingdom of God as told by Jesus. And that's just a beautiful picture to me of what that sort of upper room scene or what that time, those 40 days that, you know, Jesus is with them. And so I'm going to, because I don't have a ton here, I'm going to just break right there. I'm going to pray for that, for us as a church in the 21st century. And so, Lord, I appeal to you. I appeal to you because it is your kingdom. And Jesus, I appeal to you as the great parable teller, storyteller. You're the one who spoke about the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, would we be people saturated with the vision of the kingdom? And would we speak about it? Would it be what we celebrate and share stories about when we gather as friends, when we gather Uh, across all boundaries, that we would be known as people of the kingdom, and that we are so acquainted with that kingdom that we just speak about it. We don't have to worry about instructing or getting people to, you know, get all their bullet points in order. We just speak about the kingdom, and we live the kingdom, but we cannot do that apart from your grace and power, and so we appeal to you for that in Christ's name. Amen. The second thing that Jesus does, right? So he's speaking about the kingdom of God. He's just saturating them with vision. The second thing it says in verse 4, it says he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, right, is the Holy Spirit. And so here, this is so interesting to me because it's very counterintuitive. You have as the apostles who are about to be sent out on mission. They have the whole world before them. You know Jesus. He said, "He's I'm going to build this church upon this rock." Right. Everything is going forward. There's forward movement. There's going to be growth. There's going to be all these people. You know, added to their mix. Yet Jesus starts with, "Wait. Wait." It is so counterintuitive to our approach to building growing or multiplying anything in our midst we waiting can easily be seen as weakness in our world and yet it's the complete upside down kingdom of jesus that says waiting is the journey to power and real power lasting power as jonathan you know shared i love that part of his story because i relate to it so well is that doing everything early on in the early days for your own strength, by your own strength, and you're just fried. That's like the apostles going out and trying to launch the church and just skipping over the whole Pentecost part of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's it's a ridiculous image to think of them going out and trying to do this apart from the power. And so his second... Uh, act of preparing the apostles is wait for the real power wait for the promise i love that he connects it to promise and then wait you know it's waiting for the holy spirit and and as i said i think it's ridiculous think about everything that comes right after this you have sort of the uh preaching to unbelievers in different languages have the healing at the beautiful gate you have the sanhedrin trial imagine those scenes as if the apostles got tired of sitting around and they skipped over waiting for the holy spirit i mean they they never would have gotten out of jail they never would have you know survived the sanhedrin trial any of that they wouldn't have done the healing it would have just been empty foolishness the work of the church attempted prior to waiting for power is empty And so I think that's very helpful instruction for us, you know. It's the first two elements of Jesus preparing his apostles apply to us today. They're not diminished at all. It's that we're to be saturated with vision of the kingdom of God. We're to be people who are so saturated with it that we speak of it. We tell stories of it. We live the lifestyle of it. And we're people who don't get out in front of the Holy Spirit. We wait for the real power. And and waiting's hard. It's hard in our culture. And we're seeing that in the midst of COVID that, wow, we really struggle. I really struggle to persevere in the present. And that's what waiting really is, is persevering in the present. And so uh, I'm going to pray for this element of Jesus' preparing. Jesus, I thank you so much that you are the real power. I, I confess and repent on my own uh, life and the life of the church and leaders all around the world who we refuse to wait. And so, Father, I pray that you would teach us to wait well. I pray that in this extreme season of crisis with a pandemic, that we would learn to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray for this kind of guidance in Christ's name. Amen. And so the last element, right? He's, he's saturated them with vision. He's told them to wait for real power. The last thing that Jesus has to do to send them out is correct their faulty thinking. And this comes up in a question that they ask in verse 6 and the question you know they've they've been saturated with kingdom talk they are being told to wait and then they come to Jesus with this question they said lord will you now finally right you can imagine the tone will you now finally at this time restore the kingdom to israel and you can tell the question is out of place from what comes before it and what Jesus says after it where Jesus kind of shakes his head he's like I still need to get you guys pointed in the right direction. You know, I died on the cross, I rose again, and you're still not quite getting what the church and its mission and what the kingdom is going to do and look like. And I love how um, John Calvin, whatever your thoughts are on on Calvinism, disregard that. But he says of this verse in, in his commentary, he says, That there are as many errors in their question as there are words. And I love that. I think it's so true. When I read it and was sort of meditating through it, it was like, man, this is this is a crazy question because the apostles were still saturated with this sort of nationalistic traditional uh, picture of what the Messiah was going to come and do. And they still couldn't shake that loose. And Jesus kind of needed one more like grab them by the shirt collars, and shake that sort of old box loose so that they could be set free for what his kingdom was really going to do. You see, he had to get them outside of that box of thinking. The apostles were concentrated on a kingdom that would come to them in some sort of nationalistic manner, but Jesus isn't focused on bringing a kingdom to them. He's focused on bringing his kingdom to the world through them. And that's a totally different frame of reference that they had to get right before he could ascend. Jesus could not ascend until he helped correct their mission's thinking. And and you hear this because one of the greatest mission statements comes right after it, right? I'm gonna send them to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So Jesus was preparing witnesses not controllers of a kingdom. And that's a crucial thing that he had, to, he had to know that his people would get it right. It wasn't just enough to talk about the kingdom. It wasn't just enough to say, wait for the power. He had to set them on the right missions trajectory, which was always going to be to the world, through them, not a kingdom that came to them of some sort of worldly power. And so this is the scene as the apostles approach Pentecost. And, and I want to pray again, just in this third element, I'm going to pause and I'm going to pray because I feel like this is something we all can get wrong uh, when we focus on a kingdom that, is, uh, that we want to come to ourselves. And, and the churches who focus on building their own kingdom as opposed to allowing the kingdom to come in and through them so, Jesus, again, I, I repent on behalf of myself, my own work, where I get caught up in building my own kingdom. I repent on behalf of the church universal in uh, all of its unique expressions, uh, where at times it gets caught up in building its own program, its own silo, its own glory. Father, I pray, I beg you, Lord, that we would be a church that just wants to speak of your kingdom and be conduits through which your kingdom comes and plants root and goes out from us to a hurting and lost world that you say your heart's desire is that all would come to repent and believe that none would perish and so father send us in the right missions trajectory just like you did the apostles in those first days in christ's name Amen. And so just to wrap up, um, this is the scene. This is It's encouraging to me when I thought through, like, how did Jesus actually prepare this team of people? And prior to Pentecost, Jesus, he needed his apostles to embrace what the kingdom was like. He commanded them not to get ahead of themselves apart from the Spirit, and he gave them the most significant correction to faulty missions thinking. And so some of the questions that I hope you maybe walk away with that I have been wrestling with is I wonder where it is that I'm trying to restore a kingdom to myself all the while missing out on going to and with the kingdom of God. And I wonder what it would look like to celebrate and relish and participate in kingdom talk as we approach this Pentecost celebration. And I wonder if we wouldn't find greater strength in this season of a pandemic crisis if we waited more upon the promises of God. And so with those in mind, may we, like those apostles of old, may we, after Pentecost, may we find ourselves gathered together with one accord, united together, devoted to prayer, and may we carry well that job description of the original early apostles as witnesses of the resurrection and of the kingdom of God. And so praise God, and I appreciate you all in tuning in and, and just soaking in the scriptures this evening.